So today we'll be reading from Mark uh, 7, starting with verse 24 and ending in Mark 8, verse 21. So we'll start with Mark uh, 7, verse 24. Uh, Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it. Yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged at Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon, down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis. There, some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. After, he took him aside, away from the crowd. Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, Ephaphatha, which means be opened. At this, the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone. But the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. During those days, another large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. His disciples answered, but where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. When he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute uh, to the people, and they did so. They had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 were present. After he had sent them away, he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the region of uh, Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. To test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to it. Then he, left, uh, then he left them, got back into the boat, and crossed to the other side. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread except for one loaf they had with, him, uh, with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said, It is because we have no bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? 
12, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. It's always my joy to welcome, uh, welcome you here in, um, in Grace Church on Sundays, and, and particular welcome to those who are visiting with us or for the first time. My name is Andy, as someone already mentioned that. Um, thank you uh, this morning. Um, now, as Robert already mentioned that um, uh, a, few, a few moments ago, we really do come to the central part of our Sunday meeting, and that is hearing from God and also responding. Because as we hear God's word, we are prompted to respond to it. And often we find when we come to God's word that it says things that we don't want to hear, but we can be sure that it always says the things that we need to hear because it's God's word. And as I was preparing the talk for this Sunday, I discovered that there are some things that I naturally don't want to hear. And so to underline that truth, I gave a title to this sermon, No Dogs Allowed. No Dogs Allowed. And to underline it even, even more, I thought, why not place a, a nice poster on the doors for the Sunday, No Dogs Allowed? Uh, of course, I, I relented. I, I'm, I'm too weak for that. I didn't want to encounter all these, all these embarrassing questions dealing with, you know, the pets lovers and everything, you know, about these things. Why? Because according to many, many people, it is a dog's world. It's a dog's world. We have dogs' hotels. We have dogs' spas. We have, um, we, our dogs sleep on our couches. They sleep in our beds. They sleep under our blankets even, I, he I hear. Uh, so some of you might, might confirm that or deny that. I don't know. Dogs come with us into coffee shops and they have the bowls of water ready for them already. I know a few coffee shops like that. And so how can you say, well, what if offensive thing to say, no dogs allowed, Andis? It's a dog's world. Now, let me do a quick blame shift, okay? Let me do a quick blame shift. Although I have come up with this title for today, it is not my opinion. Okay, a quick blame shift. It is what Jesus is saying. Now, even more shocking, more shocking, Jesus isn't talking about, you know, white, curly, Dior-smelling poodle. No, he is talking about nice, upright, and polite people. In fact, Jesus is talking about the whole groups of people, namely Gentiles, which is us, most of us at least. Jesus is talking to a Gentile woman in today's text about her daughter, and here is what Jesus says to her. Glance with me at verse 27. Verse 27, and Jesus said to the woman, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Well, the implication is loud, 
and clear, your Gentile daughter is an undeserving dog. Now, Jesus, of course, is subtle here, but it is not a subtlety you'd expect to receive, as someone last week suggested, in a Christmas card. Wishing you very Merry Christmas, my puppy friend. Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dog. Sincerely yours, Jesus. Now, but imagine, just imagine that this is exactly the Christmas card that you receive in 2023. Now, what would you make of it? What would you make of it? Would you be offended? Would you find it utterly, utterly scandalous? Now, modern people would find it inconceivable, an outrageous claim. Well, perhaps most of us, most of us as Christians here today, they would say that they, you know, we, we wouldn't find it personally offensive. But how about slightly embarrassing? How about finding Jesus' words here slightly embarrassing? Verse 27, let me guess, is not in our top 10 verses for evangelism, isn't it? Has anyone ever used this verse for evangelism? You see? Why might we find Jesus' words slightly offensive here? Or sorry, embarrassing? Well, because our modern society is fed with an idea that we are entitled. People have rights. We have a right to be happy. We have a right to belong. We have a right to be included. The sense of entitlement is profound in the modern society. But then, then along comes Jesus, and he says, you're not entitled to anything. But you can be included. And that's the wonder of today's uh, passage. Now, friends, we, not be, we, we should not be surprised to hear such a provocative talk as the readers of Mark's gospel. Uh, we are approaching the climax of the first half of the whole book. And the two central themes so far in Mark's gospel have been the kingship of Jesus, Jesus being a king, and how one can be part of this kingdom. These are two big and central themes so far. And last week we saw that only when we realize the true state of our hearts, what our hearts are really like, we will appreciate Jesus as the shepherd king who rescues his people. That was last week. At the central truth for today, though, is that only when we realize that we are not entitled to this rescue, we will appreciate how sweet the sound of saving grace is, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. But as always, my friends, I don't want you to take me for my word I want you to rather see it and be convinced, really convinced by it from God's Word. So let us first look at another huge, huge meal in the desert. And secondly, how it points to the undeserving 
rescue of the Gentiles. So a deja vu dinner at first, and then a Gentile deliverance. Secondly, so firstly, a, a, a deja vu dinner in chapter 8. Now, here's another very, very similar, very similar story, almost identical story, isn't it, of Jesus feeding a massive amount of people. Uh, maybe you have already noticed that the dominating image in the passage and the section um, is bread. And as we saw uh, how the, the bread of, of uh, the image of bread is linked to that of understanding, bread and understanding very much connected. Now, if you maybe have not uh, convinced of, or maybe forgotten, flick back to chapter 6, verse 52 with me. Chapter 6, verse 52. Bread and understanding. See. So when, when the water-walking Jesus got into the boat with, uh, with the disciples, we read, they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, namely about Jesus feeding 5,000 people. So bread and understanding. Now, as we encounter another massive feeding this morning, let us pay very close attention. Let us follow the trail of breadcrumbs and how it leads us to the understanding of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. So what is with the feeding of the 4,000? Is Mark by mistake recording just another, but the, essentially the same e event, second time? Uh, is that some kind of a you know, glitch in the matrix that we are seeing here? Now, indeed, the two feedings are very similar. Let me just point you to the similarities in them. You know, the five and the four feeding, uh, thousand uh, feeding. Both feedings take place in the desert, as we see it in verse 4. In both feedings, Jesus has compassion on the crowd, verse 2. Uh, verse 6 and 7, in both feedings, Jesus miraculously multiplies bread, and fish. And eventually, verse 8, in both feedings, people ate and they were satisfied. So in many ways, very similar to the feeding of 5,000. But please notice how the second feeding is different. There's a much more simple language that we see. The people are not like sheep without a shepherd. The people do not sit on the green grass, as in the 5,000 case, but on the ground. And the people were not divided in groups. Now, what is the significance of that? Mark appears to be referring to two different groups of people. In the first feeding, we, the language is very much God's covenant language. And we had to conclude that Mark was telling us about the Israel. So many allusions to the Exodus, a covenant language. But not so in the second feeding. Now, could it be then that Mark is referring here to the Gentiles? 
Now, there are some geographical hints. Please follow with me in chapter 7, verse 24. Jesus comes to the region of Tyre and Sidon, a predominantly Gentile region. In verse 7, sorry, in verse 31 of chapter 7, Jesus goes to the region of Decapolis, where the feeding of the 4,000 takes place eventually. Now, these indeed are the regions with much greater Gentile population. So what might, what might Mark suggest here? What is he suggesting here? Is he saying that the Gentiles are entitled to the same rescue God's covenant people are in the feeding of 5,000? Is that what Mark is effectively saying? Well, not really. Actually, Mark is saying quite the opposite. Jesus says, you are not at all entitled to be rescued, but you can be included. Now, the key to understanding both of, of these things come in Jesus' dialogue with the woman in chapter 7, starting from verse 24. Because the deja vu dinner, the, the, another massive feeding of people with the hints of the Gentile mission actually the points that points to an undeserving Gentile deliverance that we see in Jesus' dialogue with a woman. That's the second thing, second thing, and we're going to spend more time here, a Gentile deliverance. Now, if you would ask your non-Christian friend next week, maybe you meet meet up with uh, some of your friends for coffee or, or lunch, and you would ask a question, why should God let you in heaven? Of course, assuming that they believe, you know, in some kind of God. So what do you think they, they would say if you would ask, why should God let you in heaven? Now, I wonder if the answers would be along the lines, because I was born in a religious family. Because I was raised in a, in a good Hindu, Krishna, Muslim, and etc., etc., home. Or because I am helping a lot of people every week. Or because, negatively, I am not like others. And then you can fill in the blanks along the lines of categories, drugs, sex, and rock and roll. I'm not like these others. That's why God should let me in heaven. In other words, God should really let me in heaven because of what I have done. God should save me because of me. Now, I know that wouldn't be what we would say, right? But friends, even as Christians, sometimes we can start to talk about salvation as if it somehow is related to our family history. Or at other times, I have heard Christians say, I found Jesus. I mean, as if Jesus would have been lost, right? 
I found Jesus, or I chose to believe God. And I don't think it's just semantics, meaning, uh, you know, how one uses the language to convey uh, the meaning. No, it is about how we view ourselves before God. I am Christian because I found, I chose, I made a step. And to be honest, I find such thinking and, and talk uh, problematic. Again, it's not my opinion. It's great to blame shift. It's not my opinion. I think it's Jesus. We really, really need to see the raw and plain teaching about our natural birthright to rescue. There simply isn't any. Friends, we don't have any natural birthright to rescue. There is no such thing as receiving salary only for showing up at work, as a lot of Z generation people nowadays think. You know, the employer need to pay me because I showed up for work. I am entitled. No. You see, Jesus isn't being rude or impolite in calling the daughter of the Gentile woman a dog. Well, some say Jesus uses the word puppy here. But let me tell you this, I can't see how, how a young lady's comparison to a white, curly, Dior-smelling poodle is in any way flattering at all. No. Unless, of course, someone chooses to identify with it. That wouldn't be a surprise, would it be? We've arrived, right? Jesus is simply stating here the fact that Gentiles, by birth, they do not enjoy neither membership, privileges, nor the promises of God by birth. We don't enjoy it. And therefore, they are not entitled to the rescue of God. Now, here, Apostle Paul, I think the clearest place that this truth is stated is Ephesians chapter 2. Flick with me to Ephesians, letter of um, Ephesians, chapter 2, and find verse 11. I'll give you a few seconds. Ephesians, chapter 2, starting from verse 11. Hear Paul's words. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from the Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God. In the world, I specifically emphasize these separated, alienated, strangers to the covenant of promise. No hope without God. You know, sometimes I, I, don't, I don't know whether you've come across uh, um, this evangelistic tool that, that street preachers, street evangelists use. It's called, Are You a Good Person? So the idea is you, you meet someone on the street and you say, what, what do you say? Would you say that you are a good person? And then 
the other person would reply and say why, and that the interviewee, he would basically lay out the Ten Commandments before the person and kind of, well, let's look at, let's look at, have you not steal? Have you not stolen anything? Et cetera, et cetera. And that kind of, that kind of implies that this person on the street has been laid down the law for himself that he just broke. And in a sense, we could say, well, in a, in a wider picture, all of us have, you know, fallen short of the God's standards. But you know what this passage does, and Jesus' dialogue with a woman does? It says to a person on the street a much stronger truth, that you were even nowhere near when God laid down his law for his people. That's how far off from God you were. That's how lost, that's how undeserving you were. And friends, that's how undeserving and lost we were once, Paul says. But the shock of the, the, today's passage is that Syrophoenician woman appears to take this really well. well that's the shock. She isn't offended. She raises no objection. She doesn't raise her fist and say it's not fair. On the contrary, verse 28, she agrees to Jesus by replying, yes, Lord. The woman humbly accepts her status. I find the woman's conversation with Jesus absolutely fascinating. Do you remember what we were saying, that, that the two central themes are the bread and understanding, very much linked together, and they also are linked to that of the identity of Jesus and the rescue. And see if you can put a finger on it. Let's read again from verse 26 together. Now, the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged Jesus to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child laying in bed and, in, uh, and the demon gone. Now, did you spot the fascinating part of the, di of the dialogue? The woman asks for healing. Jesus replies about the bread. Nonsense, right? The woman gets on the wavelength and replies about the bread. And Jesus grants her daughter, what, bread? No, healing. The demon is gone. The Gentile woman is the only person so far in Mark's gospel that seems to get what Jesus is saying. She humbly accepts her status. Yes, Lord, I know who I am. I know. Now, how do you think the woman would respond if Jesus asked her a straight question? Why should I heal your Gentile daughter? 
Why should I do that? And I do not think we would hear from the woman because I, because me, because my. No, her confidence rests in Jesus alone. She boldly insists Jesus can help her too. Again, verse 28, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Now, let me be really clear and try to lay it out for you what the woman understands as in, and, and, and is implying and what the reader should understand. Jesus, I know that you have come to feed, read, rescue your covenant people. Hence, the feeding of 5,000. I know that. That's why you have come. But at the same time, you can feed, read, rescue my Gentile child too. And look what happened. For this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter And she went home and found the child laying in bed and the demon gone. Now, was the woman somehow more deserving? Was she more deserving? Was she more bright? Was she more upright and more godly that she recognized who Jesus is and and therefore she received what she was asking for? No. I think that is where the healing of the deaf man, which is a following story, fits in. I think we are meant to perceive it as an example of how the Gentiles can be saved. Do glance at verse 34 of this um, amazing healing story. And looking up to heaven, Jesus sighed and said, to this deaf and mute man, Ephaphatha, that is, be opened. The Gentiles can be saved only when Jesus opens their ears to hear the gospel and mouth to confess Jesus. I think that is how this is peculiar healing story works. And then it kind of points to the feeding of 4,000 as this is what's going to happen to the undeserving Gentile people. Jesus will come to rescue them too. I think it beautifully resonates with what the Apostle Paul says further in the Ephesian chapter 2 as we looked Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenant of promises, having no hope and without God in the world, verse 13, but now in Christ. Isn't that beautiful? But now in Christ, you are brought near. How? By what I I did? Me? My? No, by the blood of Christ. 
Now, do you see how the gospel of Christ silences all objections? It is not fair. I'm offended. I'm entitled. I have a right to be happy. I have a right to be included. The gospel of Christ silences that all. Legally speaking, the gospel agrees with the law enforcement. So what's the kind of What's the phrase when the policeman arrests someone in these detective thrillers series? You have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can be used against you in the court. The gospel agrees with the law enforcement here. All objections are silenced. You know how sometimes people who have problems with the concept of grace, they, they say... Uh, but what about what about the, the Sentinelese tribe in the Indian Ocean, you know, living on the North Sentinel Island? I specifically Google for the most remote tribe there is in the world. Sentinelese, maybe I'm not pronouncing it right anyway. They have never heard the gospel of Christ. How can God judge them? It is not fair. God is not fair. Ironic, ironically, it is actually fair when you think about it fair means according to what what one deserves these guys on the island they kill anyone who comes near they kill them instantly now how is judging them not fair i'm not sure but how remarkable it would be if god would save them now, that wouldn't be fair, wouldn't it? <laughs> that would be gracious, utterly, utterly gracious. Now, the understanding of the gospel of grace, therefore, is at the heart of the global missions. That's, how, that's why people go on missions overseas still, because they understand that God saves undeserving people like you and like me, by God's grace alone, in Christ alone, through faith in him alone. My friends, the big truth for today, we are not entitled to rescue. But we can be included. That's what Jesus says. No dogs allowed, and yet they can get the crumbs. And eventually we see, no, not the crumbs. They are satisfied like the 5,000 feeding. The Gentiles were excluded and far off, but now in Christ they are brought near by the blood of Christ. Both Jews and Gentiles ate and were satisfied. Equally valid salvation. How gracious our God and Jesus is. Now, how does Mark intend us apply this, this here? Where we, we see two responses in, in the closing of our section. People are either humbled by it or they are hardened by this truth. Two ways, humbled or hardened. And firstly, uh, I think Mark wants us to clearly see we should not be like the Pharisees of chapter 8, verse 11. The Pharisees and the scribes, they demand yet another sign from heaven, as if the bread from heaven for more than 10,000 people wouldn't be enough. 
already. They make Jesus sigh, just like he did when he was opening the eyes of the uh, blind and deaf man. But in the case of the Pharisees, it is not to benefit them. Jesus says, no sign will be given to them. Now, it is striking how how people keep demanding more and more proof for the existence of God. The credibility of the scriptures demand more proof for the resurrection of Jesus. And yet, even when provided with the the eyewitness account, testimonies about it, they remain hardened. How striking. I mean, when you open up the skull on the operation table, you, you can see the brain of the patient, right? But you can't see his mind, but it's there, you know? More proof, more proof remain hardened. And, and we should not be like the disciples here, even more strikingly, right? Because we thought, well, these are the goodies in the Mark's gospel so far. Jesus is rightly frustrated with them. They have actually witnessed how more than 10,000 people have been fed with few bread, loaves, and few fish. And how they afterwards picked up together 19 baskets with bread. I mean, they should have been asking the question, well, where did that come from? You know, what, what, how come? And now, in the boat, on the contrary, where only 12 people plus Jesus is, they have only one bread, and they think they are going to definitely starve to death. Right? Jesus indeed is right to warn them against the leaven of the Pharisees and the scribes. That The leaven of the Pharisees and scribes is the hardness of heart. Remember, they conspired to kill Jesus in chapter 3, verse 6. Jesus is he's frustrated. You know, the, the words, do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? He says to, to his disciples, use the same language that he used to address the people on the outside before, and so we tremble. Even his disciples do not get it, do not see it. Their hearts are hardened. Oh dear. Now how does that challenge us, my friends, this morning? I think the challenge for us there is to actually honestly think, are we not like the disciples sometimes? You know, Jesus has chosen us. We are here because he has chosen us. Jesus has rescued us through the gospel of grace. Jesus daily sustains our souls and our bodies. And yet we complain. We have only one bread, you know, one bread. Yeah, or it's different. You know, I don't deserve this treatment. I have a right to to be appreciated. I deserve to be happy. You know, the the married ones, they have their own way of complaining. The single ones, they have another way of complaining. We we know these roughly the differences. But how often we are like the disciples. 
forgetting about the grace of God continually with us in the boat of our life. So what should we Im imitate in, in today's passage? I think we should be humbled by God's grace like the Gentile woman was. Continually remembering and saying, yes, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, I know. I know who I am by birth. I know that I do not deserve anything but your wrath and your righteous anger at my sin. I know that. I know how dark my heart is. I know how far away I was from you. I know that. And yet you chose me. Not because of who I am, but because of who you are. The Lord, the Lord, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Now, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And so we say, Jesus, thank you for saving me daily. Jesus, thank you for saving me. Thank you for bringing me near to your people by your blood. Thank you for including me. Thank you for drafting me in your church. Thank you for the blessing of the Holy Spirit in which I can approach you together with everyone else here. Do you hear it? Do you know what it is? How sweet the sound of saving grace. We are not entitled to anything, but we can be included. And so we say, we say thank you, Jesus. Let's sing to him in our response. <laughs>